That's right. You're listening to Nancy Sinatra singing Run For Your Life, a song that would be fantastic in the third act of a Quentin Tarantino movie on Dan Hates the Beatles. I'm Dan. I hate the Beatles. I'm Josh. I love them. And I love you, Dan. I love you. All right. This would be in a Tarantino movie. Right? I think the original would be, too, but then I heard this. Yeah. And... I was just like, yeah, this is the version. See, I mean, this, if anything, also speaks to the times, you know, because Nancy Sinatra, a woman, was like, you don't, know... Don't try to defend this. No, I'm not def- <laughs> I'm just, I'm saying the time. I mean, obviously, it's like she didn't see a problem with it. Now, having hindsight, we all see a problem with... Yeah, yeah. Um, ah, no, stop. Turn that off. Stop. Okay. What just happened? Is that your Disney playlist? I don't think it is. It I don't good. have a Disney playlist. It sounded very Disney-esque. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, it did. I don't know what that was. Uh, anyway, um, yes. So I, but we do. I do actually have a playlist going of these interesting covers of Beatles songs. If yeah. you want to check it out on Spotify, I don't know if you can, but it's under DHTB. If you're interested, I'm adding to it nice. as we go. Um, yes. Well, there you have it. Uh, we are um, here in in the world. What mm-hmm. am I? What am I even saying? So we're we're covering an album today that I don't know if, and I forgot to do all my trivia background, but um, I don't know if this album has all the uh, accolades and reception that like a uh, Rubber Soul does. Mm-hmm. But for me, this is probably my favorite album so far mm-hmm. that we've touched. Now, I am I lo- I like the Beatles, we know this, but as we also know, I'm not a I haven't done a deep dive myself into the Beatles cuz their catalog is so huge. I'm just familiar with most of the hits. Right. Which is enough to I think it's enough to make an opinion. I mean, like yeah, yeah, it, there's enough popular they have a number 1s album for God's sake and that's you know, it fills an entire album. Um, and that's enough to convert anyone into a Beatles fan, the layman. Um, so I, I haven't done anyone who is prone to be. Yeah. So point being revolver, I think is, uh, one of their best. Um, and you know, we're not, we're about halfway through their, or maybe a little over halfway through their, their albums. I think we're past the halfway point, but, um, yeah, long way to say, I really like this album. I gotta say that. I mean, my feelings about Rubber Soul. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, we almost re-recorded those two episodes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot we did two. Yeah, um, <laughs> I feel like I might have, to some people's estimation, turned into a a rage monster, mm-hmm. um, and that's possibly possibly the case. But so. If you if you like timidly press play on this one, I want to say this one's better. <laughs> we'll see. Um, I f- I found that album very very frustrating, and mainly I found it like it was like a collision of everything I found frustrating about the Beatles, um, kind of good and bad. And I realized that I didn't really have a way to talk about 
my frustration with the Beatles as the Beatles um, with clarity. And I think that what it comes down to is I have to use like a food analogy where Mm. it's like the Beatles are like, when I say that like there's, there's a certain aesthetic to how they had, how they made those songs that I don't like. I realize that it can sound like someone, well, it's just, I mean, I would like it, but I'm just inclined to not like it's, I think what it comes down to is like, I think we all know somebody who like is a capable cook, but just like the way that they cook things, like their palate just doesn't work for you. You know, like I remember like growing up some friends, parents, like when they were preparing dinner and I was staying over, I'd be like, okay, this is going to be this version of this thing that I like. Otherwise that Mm -hmm. I kind of don't like the way they do it. Right. You know, um, or like it's like white meat for chicken, where it's just like I get it, I get that people like it, I get that it has certain positive qualities, but I don't truly, I truly don't understand how it would be a preference for anybody. Yeah, you know, so that's where I'm at there. John Lennon's still a fucking monster. Sure. Um, so yes, there you have it. And I was going through a weird time too. Okay, <laughs> I'm not apologizing for anything. I'm a just heartfelt apology from I'm Dan not to the fans. Sorry, but I am clarifying that. Anyway, listen, things got emotional. Yeah. You were expressing your yourself. We had a good cry afterwards, and um, you know it is what it is, and we and we're moving on. Yes. Okay. So, um, speaking of. Metaphors. I thought of this metaphor a while back, and I, I keep forgetting to, to mention it. And I don't know how true or accurate it is, but <clears throat> but let's let's take this ride and see and see if you agree. I feel like the Beatles are to music what Steven Spielberg is to directing movies. Now Spielberg has a wide catalog of films, right? And he does what he does very well, and what he does also appeals to a wide audience. Mm-hmm. He makes movies very well, and they they have a very movie... It's almost like he defined like a movie type of quality. He makes just, movie movies. He makes blockbusters, right, right? right? He makes Jaws. He makes E.T. Mm-hmm. You know, makes Forrest Gump. Mm-hmm. And no one would ever confuse him for, let's say, like a Stanley Kubrick, right? Um, no, not even if he tries to, like right, an AI. Yeah. Right, so like... Something like somebody like Stanley Kubrick, or uh, insert your director here. I don't know Ma- Michael Haneke, or I, 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 I don't want to go off a tangent. Um, but uh, their films are deep, layered, thought provoking. Maybe off the beaten path. Maybe doesn't appeal to a huge, wide audience. Right, like Kevin Smith. Um, Kevin Sp- exactly. Um, but Spielberg, you know, he's never not going to make a movie for the masses. But they're still good. Quote unquote, like right. I love ET, I love Jaws. I, I said Forrest Gump, that wasn't him, that was Robert Zemeckis. Yeah, Robert Zemeckis. My, um, but uh, you know, Saving Private Ryan, etc. Like he makes these, uh, you know, and every now and again he'll make like uh, I don't, I haven't seen War. What is that War Horse or that uh, the horse movie? Um, Black Stallion. I think it's called the War Horse. I don't know, but it just seems like corny. Horsey. You know? um, Black Beauty. Um, Mr. Ed. Anyway. <clears throat> the Wind in the Willows. But, you know, so... The Headless Horseman. What do you think of that, 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 <laughs> uh, that comparison? Uh, I, think, I think that's a good comparison. And I think that um, 
you you know when you're watching a Steven Spielberg movie, there's certain trappings of like how he uses the light and a lot. It's like, especially after a certain point, yeah, you're like you can look at it and go, "That's a Steven Spielberg movie." Yeah. Sort of in the same way, you can see something and go, "That's a, a mid '70s horror movie." Sure. Like there's a shared there's a there's a fingerprint on it, yeah. and um, honestly, and it is, this tracks because like I think Hook is. It's an okay. I so I have an issue with with Hook, of course, <laughs> fitting in my character still. But it's an okay movie. Mm-hmm. I and I like I can get behind a lot of it. But I f- I remember watching it and feeling like, oh, this is Steven Spielberg making a Steven Spielberg movie. Like yeah. it seemed like he was hyper aware of his his fingerprints or whatever sure. and was and was like okay we're gonna make sure that this looks and feels like a steven spielberg movie yeah and it it becomes like um obstructive to enjoying it i think and i think that that also f- tracks with a lot of how i feel about the beatles where it's like okay there's some good moves there but like we can we can move on you know mm-hmm. <laughs> you know like the um the the harmonizing in rubber soul that i had an issue with it's like okay it's kind of the same method every single time and happily they don't do a lot of that in this one they ch- they change it up a little bit and i was i was glad to hear that yeah but um that's just that i mean i feel i do that with music that i like too you know like there's stuff on there's a f- there's several there's at least one track on every album that I love at least one mm. where I listen to it and I go this doesn't need to be here um and it's just it's an expected thing for me yeah i i have that with every album ever made really <laughs> yeah that, that's why i have such a hard time with picking favorite bands because right. for the most part i like maybe th- on, on average, three songs per album that I really like, and every other song I'm like, eh, for like anything, yeah. Radiohead, uh, 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 even the Beatles, um, uh, who are some of my favorite bands? I don't know, Cold War Kids, um, Death Cap for Cutie, whatever. Spice Girls. Nirvana, Spice Girls, um, the Thompson Twins. Of if, course. If I may. Anyway. <laughs> uh, let's, Jones. let's, uh, we've been, we've been chatting a little bit. Let, let's get into a song. Let's go, let's go to the first song. Um, which is called Taxman, and it's a it's a silly song, but right. you know what? We're we're gonna listen to it. I do want to at some point get into how we each listen to it because I, I let's get into that. But like, yeah, uh, I think how we each listen to music historically is probably something to get into in terms of this discussion. Sure. Yeah. Okay. One, two, three, four. One, two. Some audio wackiness at the beginning. Let me tell you. They're hitting that two and four again. They are. They're, they're powering down on it. Bat. No, it's Batman. This song reminds me of Batman. <laughs> this song reminds me of the Batman thing. Yeah. No, there's. I, I get that. Batman. Um. I'm not. <laughs> Power. You're not gonna be able to unhear it. Yeah. No, you're right. Batman. Um. I I don't dislike the powering down on the oh and there's there's stuff happening in the background with 
like extra rhythmic things. Yeah. Which, and okay. So first of all, I want to say I actually don't I. I don't dislike this song. Yeah. I don't know that it crosses over into I like this song territory. Yeah. Because all I can do is think about John Lennon being a greedy motherfucker. Okay. Because I'm he's broken for me. Dyson. Point. Okay. Yeah. You gotta let it go. That's, that's... <laughs> no, I, I, but I don't, that's the other thing is that that Dyson thing I don't really think exists. Listen to this guitar work, by the way. This it's is, all, yeah, that's good. That was, some, that was a little guitar solo going on that was, sounds of... <laughs> I mean, can you imagine hearing that on the Meet the Beatles album? Oh, it would blow people's minds. They would explode. So this is the band evolving, taking more risks. Not really risks, but they're... If they try to bring that into their their heart their teeny boppy first album the producers were like no what the hell you know but I that's there's the other thing is I find it interesting and possibly disingenuous when people say that they like that early stuff and this stuff too like it's that's that's what you're really saying is that you like the Beatles because they're the Beatles no so that's where I disagree because people someone like me I do I can appreciate a Spice Girls song because Despite what it is, like very much corporation, like right. corporate or capitalist music company bringing together what they think is going to sell the most records. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, you also have producers and musicians working on a song, and it makes it a song, and it's like catchy. Right. And like people like me who are, I don't carry any baggage with it. I just listen to it for what it is, and I'm like, okay, this is a catchy song. Mm-hmm. It's like the Spice Girls have a catchy song, and it's like dumb, but like I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna uh, discount it. Um, I'm not gonna bring in any ego or any kind of like. Well, I'm a college-educated male, and I so therefore it would be embarrassing for me to like this song. Well, right. I'm, but- a, I'm an evolved person who's reached enlightenment and have let go of ego, <laughs> so I can I can just be like, oh yeah, this song moves me. So I can I can appreciate she loves you yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and also this and this this album as well. And, okay. and, and I'm being very very genuine, like I'm being honest. No, I get that. And it's hard for you to. I think it's hard for you to to really believe that, but it's true. <laughs> no, I. So, but and and in fairness, I I felt very similarly about the Beatles. Like long before I had. <laughs> bullshit degree (laughs) like this is this isn't i've always been a snob about music always and it's never been like oh i'm gonna be a snob it's just i think it's because i was i was i don't know i lived in a house with a sister who had somewhat evolved musical tastes Mm -hmm. and and i think it that came from that i don't know but like what i did an interesting thing for, for myself last night and for some reason, randomly, I started listening to like some K-pop, oh. <laughs> and I found myself really enjoying it and yeah. really hearing like. I mean, it's. I guess it's super commercial. It's. I'm assuming it is. It's. At least in Korea, sounds very produced. And I think the problem that I have with just flat out dumb pop is mm-hmm. if. If it's going to be about nothing, then I'd rather not understand what the lyrics are saying. That's, you know, I've, I've, I've said this to you. <laughs> Remember I said, like, I'm going to, I would love to play you Beatles songs in a different language so that you can just disregard the lyrics. Unfortunately, that's really hard. To it, it would be impossible because I'd recognize it. Yeah. But like, I, I guess Maybe. in that setting, 
And it's not so much like, oh, this is in a different language, so I must like it. Yeah. It's it's more just like, it's if it's just about being pop and nice, then let's just have it be about pop and nice. I don't want to have to deal with the stupid bullshit lyrics that yeah. make me think, okay, this person might be like, this person might not be functioning well, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but it's, so yeah, it hits the two and four real hard. And I know I came down on them for that a while ago. It's also hitting the one beat pretty significantly, which I think really helps that it brings some funk into it. Um, it's, it's a good song. I just, I don't really fucking care about the tax man. Tax man. Yeah. It, um, <laughs> this is, Hey man, they're, they're anti, uh, anti establishment. I feel like libertarians would love this song. That's, I think the problem that I have with it. <laughs> it's a, it is a silly lyrical uh, song. I also had this other thing, which is, I mean, this is not really an argument or a thing that, you know, I'm not going to change your mind on it. But I was thinking, you have such a big deal with the lyrics, and a lot of times I'm like, okay, yeah, that's kind of a silly song. But then I'm thinking, like, why does why do lyrics have to be something of substance or deep? Like, who who said that music has to have a strong message? Like, why can't it be about a song about a tax man or a song about, like, a, an actress you know, wanting to make it and saying that you can drive my car, which is like a, you know, dumb, like, lyrics, but like, who said that it has to be serious? Like whoever made that rule for music, like it's music. It's, 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 it's about the music. Right. The lyrics are just kind of another instrument to it and they add something, but you know, I, I'm, it's not that I'm sitting there analyzing. That's not a word. Um, analyzing the lyrics because I'm like, Oh, there's lyrics here. I, therefore I must analyze it. In fact, in this album, there's songs that they have lyrics. I, I'm, I'm aware that there are lyrics, but there's enough stuff going on musically that I don't feel like I need to pay attention to the lyrics. And I think that's the thing is that if you're not going to have stuff, other stuff going on, then I'm going to pay attention to the only thing I have left, which is the lyrics. And I generally don't, I honestly don't generally pay attention to the lyrics unless they are made to be this thing up front. Um, and it's not, it's just an honest reaction. It's, it's not, I'm listening to this and going, Hmm, this isn't meaningful. Therefore it's stupid. It's just, okay, this sounds like an incomplete thought and yeah. that's it. It's, it's strange. I think, that you, the, your mind, your brain, the way you listen to music, your ear, you do focus or you can't help but notice the individual parts right. of what's being, whereas I, and I don't know if more people are like me or more I people think, are like to you. To be fair, they probably are more like where you. Where I... <clears throat> It's almost like if we want to go back to cooking or a meal metaphor. And I think that's probably the safest place that we can do this. Yeah. yeah it's like I have a burger in front of me, a hamburger, and I bite into it and I notice how it tastes. Right. I'm like, mm, this is good. Right. Whereas you're like, okay, th- he's using a brooch bun. That's an interesting choice. This is, this is, um, you know, 
uh, uh, obviously grass-fed beef uh, choice. <laughs> and I, I noticed that you, car- you you did grill the uh, you caramelize the onions and instead of you know just using a, a raw onion or even just a, a cooked onion, you're you're noticing all the different ingredients and like analyzing them. Whereas I'm just taking a bite and and seeing does this mesh well in my mouth right. or does it not? And that's, that, that, uh, there's no judgment of which is better or worse. Right. It's just that's what it is. I think your analogy is is good, but I would also I I want to like get it away from like uh, want to identify my analogy as well. <laughs> no, I want I want to get it get away from it being like an elite sort of thing <laughs> and say that it's like the difference between like eating a chili dog, uh, having chili from Tommy's. Which is a completely which and and uh, chili from Wiener Schnitzel. Mm-hmm. It's like it's both trash, but like I, you're right. I am. It's like I'm able to. It's not even a- ability. It's just it's just where I naturally go to, and right. it, and it's not to say that I'm like listen. I I wish that I could not. Do this analysis, yeah. Shit. And and when I say that, I'm not saying that you're a, like some snooty food critic, right? Like, that's just right, right, right. I'm not I, saying, I didn't get that impression. I just wanted to clarify, right? For- yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just yeah, something that you do, and it's weird because like yeah, music is made up of um, instruments. So like, okay, there's a guitar in this song. There's drums. There's vocals. There's a mm-hmm. bass. Mm-hmm. There's other stuff, and then together there's this expression right there's this um this thing this product that comes out of that and that's what i focus on is this like this almost like matterless expression which is the music so the music isn't just the guitar the guitar is this thing and like this physical thing and the the drums are this physical thing Mm -hmm. but when they come together it's almost like this thing that comes out of that thing which is what i'm concentrated on right and you also hear that obviously you can't right. help but you're but you're also focusing on the guitar like all the different bits and pieces where i'm skipping that and just saying like, like give me the finished product right. into my ear into my soul and this is what i'm listening this is this is what i'm taking in right well yeah you're right and i'm hearing like <clears throat> the treatment that's on the guitar i'm hearing yeah. like the weird rattly things in the background for the drums that i really like in this song yeah and the sense of space that they use in this song is it's fantastic mm-hmm. it's, it's like i was listening it to an I, I was i was driving my car and i was listening to it and um i would i actually experienced several different like spatial layers it was almost like a three-dimensional thing and i'm not talking i'm talking about like stereo left and right i'm talking about more even like i know this doesn't make any fucking sense but almost like a vertical space to it mm-hmm. um and so the payoff to that is that i get to listen to something like this and i say okay this isn't this isn't a song that i like want to listen to a ton but i really appreciate the choices that they made whereas on uh Rattle and a rubber sole. <laughs> um, <laughs> Rattle and hum. They kind of are similar, yeah. um, at least in graphics. Um, I hear the the shit with the sitar, and I'm just like, okay, why? Why are you reducing this instrument when you could expand it? Um, and we'll get to the sitar we'll later. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a little bit of some notes and trivia. Um, this album was the Beatles' final recording project before their retirement as live performers and marked the group's most overt use of studio technology to date, according to Wikipedia. 
building on the advances of the, their late 65 release, Rubber Soul. And I was wondering if it had any critical acclaim. Well, it does. It has since been become regarded as one of the greatest album in the history of popular music. Right. Um, so this was, it's critically acclaimed. It's received very well. Um, and based on first listens, I think is um, a step up from Rubber Soul. Um, oh, absolutely. I don't understand why Rubber Soul, I mean... <clears throat> Looking back, at least, I don't understand why Rubber Soul, why anyone even talks about Rubber Soul. Yeah. I mean, it's, well, you probably listened to the episodes. Um, but this is a, I might like this album. Uh oh. It's a good album. It's a good, it's, it is a good album. And as someone who occasionally hangs out in electronic music, um, there's parts of it that I'm just ethically, I can't even allow myself to, find as much fault in because it's like oh that's where that comes from and i realized that that might be hypocritical somewhat in some other things that i've expressed i'm not sure but i'm open to to analysis of that yeah okay i'll take that uh let's see any other uh, i'm going to be rolling out some trivia and facts about this album as okay. we throughout the episode it can run um, at 60 miles per hour yeah um, Paul McCartney played the guitar solo on Taxman. Huh. So McCartney has a little, some chops there. Yeah. Uh, prior to Revolver, George Harrison handled just about every guitar solo in the Beatles catalog, except, uh, for a few forays by Lennon, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's a vertical yeah. jump is 10 feet. But Harrison didn't play the, the, the fuzzed out, uh, solo on Taxman. There was a bit of tension on that session, Emmerich recalls. Who's Emmerich? Some, Roland Emmerich. Uh, producer? I don't know. Because George had a great deal of trouble playing the solo. In fact, he couldn't even do a proper job of it when we slowed the tape down to half speed. After a couple hours of watching what him... What an idiot. <laughs> after a couple hours of watching him struggle, both Paul and George Martin started becoming quite frustrated. This was, after all, a Harrison song, and therefore not something anyone was prepared to spend a whole lot of time on. <laughs> <laughs> Look, mate, we'll give you one song, but we're not going to dedicate a whole fucking day to the recording I thing. I thought John Lennon wrote this one. I forgot. No, yeah, I remember yeah, at Ouch. some point hearing George Harrison. Wow, sick burn to okay. George. Enter then McCartney, who played one of the decade's <laughs> finest solos. Jesus. Oh, man. Um, listen, yeah, that's man. when you really figure out like where you stand in a group is when, when yeah. they're just like, okay, well, we have these three hours before. <laughs> yeah. Listen, I'm going to go like take a shit and have a cigarette. Get this song recorded, George. When I find the time, I get back. John and I are going to go for a, for, you know, a In-N-Out burger. Right, so. right. But it's going to take the oven at least a half an hour to warm up, so <laughs> have at it. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> there's also that quote, which I, I don't know if it, it was a real quote or, you know, who said it or what the context was, but it was like an interview asked, you know, they're asking like, Hey, is, is Ringo Starr, do you consider him like one of the best drummers uh, in the world right now? And then jo I think John Lennon supposedly said, he's not even the best drummer on the Beatles. Oh my God. <laughs> what an asshole. Uh, I don't know if that's true or not, but that's, yeah, I, that's I, funny. That sounds, that sounds like classic, classic John. Classic Lennon. Um, Boy. Let's see. Uh, all right, let's, let's go on to the next, uh, the next song, which is a popular one. Poplar? Poplar. Pop popular. Poplar tree. Poplar trees. Poplar is a tree. Um, oh, man, there's a dark, dark-ass poem 
we're not going to get into it. This is not the place to talk, but it's the giving tree. Um, about a blood on the leaves, a strange fruit hanging from the poplar trees, written by a black man um, during maybe the Reconstruction era. But it's about lynching. Oh um, wow! I'm really glad I didn't make my blood on the saddle joke from yeah. Country Bear Jam. No, but it's and then there uh, a couple of recordings of that song, and it's very moving. And ugh, it's I forgot who. Um, now I have to fucking look it up. Hold on. Uh, While Josh looks this up, I would like to talk to you about the glory of uh, Cthulhu. Cthulhu is your friend. Cthulhu is waiting for you. Cthulhu is strange fruit. Yes. So if you listen to Strange Fruit, Billie Holiday recorded one. Nina Simone. You know what? Just because this, just because we're on a tangent, I'm going to play this song really quick. Tangent up. This oh, is, if we could squeeze two episodes out of this yeah. one, too? Fuck it. Yeah. This, <laughs> this is Strange Fruit from Nina Simone, based on the poem, and it's just haunting. Seven trees Barren strange fruit Blood on the leaves have to say some sort of comment over this at this point in order for it to count black bodies swinging in the southern breeze i mean it's just talking about painting a picture oh hell yeah it paints a very dark but very real picture and um it uh probably I would be doing a disservice if I wasn't looking up who wrote the poem, so right. I'm gonna do that. So Strange Fruit Um Poem Let's see. Pastoral scene. That's mm-hmm. very interesting choice of words. Written by Abel Mirapol in 1937. Um, yeah. Ah, oh, that's interesting. Sentiment Magnolia is a David Sylvian song, and I have no doubt that he got that from that. There you go. Be interesting if by the end of this podcast I like renounce David Silver. <laughs> <laughs> Written by a Jewish American writer, um, but uh, v- very powerful uh, poem. We'll fade out. Take a listen to it. Uh, read the poem. But anyway, how the hell did I even get on that? Uh, okay, that's a good question. Let's see. We were talking about. Oh, it's because I said poplar. <laughs> And it's strange fruit hanging uh, from the poplar trees. That's why. Um, yeah. Anyway, good tangent. You're That's listening it. to Dan Hates the Beatles. Uh, where are we at? Okay. <laughs> this next song was one of the, their more popular songs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we've returned. Named after a woman. Hmm. Eleanor Rigby. Eleanor Rigby. 
Mix up the rice in the church where a wedding has been. Bean? Lives in a dream, waits at the window, wearing the face that she keeps Damn. in a jar what? by the door. I'm enjoying the song. Who is it for all the lonely people? I really like that moment in the song. Which one? The moment where everything kind of slides together. Yeah. But repeating it is stupid. Just kidding, everyone. I actually like this a little bit. Um, it's a great song. It's a, it's a really good song. Um, I like all the parts to it. Um, my, my nephew, who I think, I, I, I hope he's still listening, actually texted me the other day. And I didn't have his new, um, his new number. Oh, that was yeah, it? Yeah. <laughs> so... I got this text from a number that I wasn't familiar with saying, what's your excuse for not liking Eleanor Rigby? And I'm sitting there like, oh, shit. Like, <laughs> I'm in a John Grisham novel yeah. here. <laughs> I was picturing, like, a very, very angry potential sniper on the other end. <laughs> like, you better answer your free self. <laughs> so, Jake, if you're still listening, I really appreciated that moment of confusion. <laughs> Truly. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> I, and I actually got it confused with another song. I think it was Day in the Life. For some reason, those songs live in the same place in my brain. Um, I love the layering. Did I say to love? I do. I, I really like the layering. Um, <laughs> Minimization, um, how the things, everything kind of collides and pulls apart at certain times. It's really well put together, um, and it sounds like it's a song about something that's probably meaningful and something that we can get into. But I'm not, I'm not in a place where I feel like I need to engage with the lyrics in a deep way because I just enjoy it. Um, I like the idea of where the lonely people come from, where they belong. Mm-hmm. It's cool. It's It's got a lot going for it. I like this song. I recommend it. I give it a five-star rating on Yelp. Damn. Get it today. Prices are low for only this period of time. There you go. So While supplies last. So, so yeah, it's a very... Um a little different, you know, because there's heavy use of strings. Um, yeah. So, oh, well, let me just read some facts about the song. Producer George Martin took the inspiration for the strings on Eleanor Rigby from the scores, from scores of the films of French New Wave director Francois Truffaut. Hmm. So he got inspiration from a French filmmaker. All four Beatles contributed to the lyrics of the song, um, which is that's interesting. A little rare. Yeah. Um. Maybe do that again, guys. Come on. Um, a couple a little more. teamwork in there. <clears throat> yeah. Stop fucking giving George a wedgie. John Lennon's closest friend was Pete Shotton, whom he grew up with and would later purchase a supermarket for, even inviting his Liverpool chum to the occasional songwriting session. Um, so he's the fifth Beatle. Uh, one such affair was at Kenwood. The Beatles were uh, there with their significant others. At dinner, the men folk... This is, okay, I'm reading this from a Rolling Stone article. The men folk headed off to Lennon's home studio. Lennon, Over the warmer up too. Yeah. <laughs> Lennon having become bored with the TV program everyone was watching. Fuck this shit, Shot remembers him saying in the Beatles, Lennon and me. 
Uh, Paul McCartney, as usual, had brought along his guitar, which he got out and started strumming. He played everyone a new song, which just happened to be Eleanor Rigby. In the song, the priest's original name was Father McCartney. Hang on a minute, Paul. Oh, hang on a minute, Paul. Shot and interjected. <laughs> People are going to think that that's your poor old dad, left all alone in Liverpool to darn his own socks. A fair point. Everyone pitched in names until Shotton came up with both the winning Father McKenzie and the idea of him presiding over the burial service for the dear departed Miss Rigby. I don't think you understand what we're trying to get at, Pete, Lennon remarked, prompting Shotton to reply with, Fuck you, John. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Fuck you, John. Oh, man. So, I mean, I don't know if the juice was worth a squeeze on that bit of trivia there, but hey, there you go. Um... All right, I think Bush. I think we should move on. Um, oh, okay. So this next song is one is one of those that I hadn't really heard before, and since hearing it, I love this song, man. I don't know. This is just so I damn. Hope, I hope it isn't one of the two or three that I'm not really probably because the lyrics are very silly. But right. I'll I'll make my defense of why can't they be? Um, but just. The, I that's I have no problem with s- silly lyrics. Yeah, but I don't like lyrics that are just stupid and <laughs> halfly formed. Okay, that's it. <laughs> the the musical product that we get, everything's thrown into a blender. You right. blind grind it up, and the thing that comes out, yeah. I sip it, and I go. Mm-hmm. That's 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 great. I I, I am je- I'm jealous of that. I really am. I can't c- communicate that enough. Should be. <laughs> All right, here's the song. It's called I'm Only Sleep- uh, Sleeping. Hmm. Yeah. And I'm a sucker for like a good melody, a yeah. good singing melody, and I love this melody. Mm-hmm. It feels mm-hmm. too slow to me. Like by a, just a couple BPMs. And it changes up here. I just I like it so much. So, my issues with this song are purely, I think, that aesthetic thing that we were talking about. Um. Yeah. No. I get. I get it. Hey, that's a thing that's happening. It's a yeah. No, they they're playing the guitar backwards. That's fine. Was that they, done like before the Beatles did this? I wonder. Uh, you know what? I'll give them credit for it. Doesn't matter because that's used. You know, that's used throughout musical history now. Right. Um. But and here's the thing. Again, it's it's a, it's a fine song. I just I, I do, do do do. There's some nuance in there. Yeah. Okay. So. Um, the use of harmony differs. It's good. It's I just it's just there's a thing that the Beatles rely on a lot that I just it grates on me mm-hmm. and I it's purely a just it's a me thing again this I'm not this band's audience you know like what's the thing it, the the reliance on the every quarter note hitting the chord on every quarter note oh. and I think that comes from listening to a lot of Bowie growing up and having Carlos Alomar's uh, rhythm guitar being a lot more textured. Okay. So pretty much any time I hear that, my ear goes, oh, they're fucking doing it again. 
And I think if there's not something else to latch on to, I just get distracted by that. And the backwards guitar thing, that's cool, but it honestly makes me want I just want to listen to King Crimson now. Which is, it's not their fault. <laughs> you know? There is no King Crimson without the Beatles, my friend. Uh, well, Doing okay, the backwards sure. guitar solo. Sure. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna take on that. I don't know what King Crimson is, I don't know I just you should. Listen to our new show, Josh Hates King Crimson. I just love this little tune, the the, the melody of the... And I, I wish I knew singwriters' processes for coming up with, like, how am I going to sing over this music? Because as a former, um, well, I guess current musician, I used to try to write songs and during my high school years. The hardest part was always coming, like, I would always come up with a guitar riff first, mm. and then some lyrics, and then, like, okay, how do I sing this over right. the music? It's always the hardest part to come up with the melody, one, and two, like, a catchy melody, mm-hmm. and one that changes and does, and it's just like, so I, now that's the thing that I kind of recognize is when there's a nice singing melody throughout the song, I'm like, man, that's really catchy. I like that a lot. Even when I am driven to distraction by how much I loathe these fucking people, Mainly because of, again, mainly because of the culture that is trying to shove them down my throat. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 again, they're, they're, they're very skilled at writing songs. Yeah. You know, and sometimes, look, if you write like a bajillion songs, sometimes you're going to end up with something like, um, God damn it, uh, yesterday. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you're going to end up with something like, I don't want to bring up one of the abusive ones. What's the, it's a, what's a, like, well, let's say this, where it's like, eh, it's, it's okay. It's a well crafted song. Yeah. And then sometimes you end up with a, you know, pile of trash, but less. Do you know what ADT is, Dan? Automatic and dog talker. It's a security company that now sponsors this show. I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's true. Part of it. Look uh, out, LaCroix. Uh, if there's a key ingredient in Revolver's, this is coming from the Rolling Stone article again, Sonic Stew, it's a technique the Beatles and George Martin pioneered called artificial double tracking. Oh, ADT, yeah, yeah, yeah. For those in the know. It's what you hear on Tomorrow Never Knows, for instance, mm-hmm. um, when Lennon's voice goes all extraterrestrial, we'll get to that. Mm-hmm. Artificial double tracking is taking an image of a sound and delaying it slightly or advancing it slightly so that it forms double, George Martin said in the Beatles anthology. Hmm. If you think in photographic terms, it's like having two negatives. When you get one negative exactly on top of the other, there's just one picture. So if you have one sound image on top of the other exactly, then it becomes only one image. But move it slightly by a few milliseconds, and around eight or nine milliseconds, it gives you a boxy telephone-like quality. Mm. Let it, Lennon put it more succinctly. Double flanging, we call it. Flange made it on the show. Flange, baby. Um, so that explains why it sometimes sounds... Like weird and robotic, because yeah. it actually is weird and robotic. I know another method that people use, <clears throat> and these are both really good ways to like take. Again, I'm not I'm not being critical here. Mm-hmm. A, a somewhat tinny voice like Lennon's, especially when he goes up high. Yeah. Um, if you double that shit, then you you kind of smooth out the the issues mm-hmm. that come with it. Brian Eno uses that shit all the time. Mm-hmm. And cause he's not, a, he even says I'm not a very good singer, but 
put some layers on top of that and it, it, it'll sound okay. Yeah. Um, another way of doing that, and I think Eno is, uses this method is where you actually just re-record several times and layer it so that you're getting multiple mistakes. <clears throat> you know, you're getting multiple it's the same voice singing several times so it smooths itself out in a in a more organic way i think yeah. but it's still it's a cool effect i'm not gonna it's just yeah i just don't like the song very so much. you mentioned that uh you didn't like the tempo or the the speed right um so uh speaking to that as with rain which i guess is another song somewhere the basic track was recorded at a faster tempo before being subject to, subjected to very speeding. Hmm. Uh, the latter treatment, along with ADT, was also applied to Lennon's vocal, as he sought to replicate, in McDonald's description, a papery old man's voice. So they maybe slowed it down a little bit. Uh, for the guitar solo, Harrison recorded two separate lines, the first with a clean sound, while on the second he played his Gibson SG through a fuzz box. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that might be what I'm hearing, is that I think the so it sounds like it's supposed to sound like it's slowed down, yeah, or like it's kind of logy to quote Lisa Simpson. Yeah, um, I think it's I think it's a little uncanny valley ish for me. Sure, just for my ears. I I it's you know it's a cute idea. It just <laughs> I feel like I have to be so defensive now after last last time. <laughs> <laughs> Sit down. You're starting to stand up again. Um, anything else from this? No. Um, all right, we'll go on. I really like that song. It's one of my new favorites. Um, like the the melody gets stuck in my head. I find myself singing it while wandering alone in the streets <laughs> of San Diego. All right, moving on. All right, I'm I'm interested to see your. Uh, to get your reaction on this on this bad boy. <laughs> All right. Hold for the beginning. Okay. Damn, that's that's the old sitar right there. <laughs> what the fuck, Beatles? <laughs> um this sounds a little bit more First of all, also let me say, the last episode you you made the implication that I didn't know what the sitar is supposed to sound like, so <laughs> how dare you, sir? I know, I've heard a goddamn sitar before. I know what it's supposed to sound like. I'm, I'm sorry. And this sounds close to what it is supposed to sound like, right? Yeah. Right? right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, so you were very pissed off that uh, they improperly played it and they didn't use the best sitar player in the world on air. Um, they <laughs> Who they had access to. Uh, okay. Um, uh, okay, so this is Harrison doing a lot here. Um, <laughs> they they he rec- let him out of the cage again. Yeah, they, they, they set him free. <laughs> McCartney and Lennon went on another cigarette break. <laughs> Put a couple more mar- marbles in the jar. <laughs> yeah. So he... He, they brought in some Indian musicians from the Asian music circle mm. who provided instrumentation such as the tabla, tambura, mm-hmm. and sitar. Mm-hmm. Well, they still got it wrong. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> you damn Indians from the Asian music circle. Just don't know how to play your you don't own know music. how to do it. How I want you to do it. This is cultural appropriation of your own culture. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, okay, so I've dropped some hints in both directions. I want to know, without doing your Dan's an asshole impersonation, <laughs> what do you think I think of this song? Well, allow me to <laughs> open the portal and get Dan from the alternate dimension in here. Okay. And I'll, I'll, okay. I won't make you sound like an idiot, okay? okay. I, okay. This is okay. a graceful, honest interpretation of you, okay? okay? I'll give you that much respect. Okay. okay. All right, he's here. <laughs> My name's Dan. I'm Snooty. I would say that uh, I like the proper use of the sitar here, and there's a lot of nuance and layering and other shit going on. I think I give this song um, like a B plus. That's what I would... Th- Thank you, Dan. Bye. Uh, bye. Bye, Dan. See you in the car. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, that's actually pretty accurate. <laughs> of course it is. Um, <laughs> um, part of... God, how do I do this without sounding like a complete douche? Just say what's it's on okay. your mind. So, <laughs> look, people have life experiences, uh-huh. and sometimes those life experiences come in <laughs> when you're listening to the Beatles. Yeah. Um, go off, go off. So, for a couple of years, I actually worked live sound for SCSU's World Music Series. Um, which is part of the reason why, like, when that sitar didn't sound like sitar last time, I was like, you motherfuckers. <laughs> because, like, we took efforts to be like, okay, what are the qualities of this, of this instrument? What, is, what are we supposed to be hearing? What are we, like, what's, what are we shooting for, for accuracy here? Um, and <laughs> so, um, when I hear this song, um, uh-huh. I hear the closest to my only moderately educated ears in how this to, to how this is supposed to be, um, and just that alone. I mean, <laughs> the fact that they got it right after getting it wrong is enough for me to like this. It's like it, it's okay, good job. Um, I, I oh and I like what they do with the tempo towards the end. They start speeding up. Yeah, um, all that stuff is it's it's great. And I can't imagine what someone in what year was this nineteen like eighty seven or something eighty seven. <laughs> this was uh, released in nineteen sixty six. Sixty six. Yeah. So like this must have people must have literally shat their pants when they listened to this for the first time. Yeah. And I mean that in a, in a probably good way. Um, for sure. Again, I like last time I called it racist reverb and I don't mean that in a necessarily bad way. They did it right. I think at least to my ears. Yeah. I mean, I don't know any, I really don't know a whole lot more than what I've said about those instruments and how to deal with them, but okay, cool. cool. I like it. It's fine. Yeah. They're they're doing a good job of introducing Americans or probably just the Western musical, um, you know, popular music world to its first foray into some Eastern right. stuff with this. But and this isn't their fault, but 
now we're opening the door to creepy yoga guy with a ponytail. You know, you like got to take the good with the bad here, right? You know, like that's it's like great. I, they're making some good musical choices and everything, but where this leads to culturally is that fucking guy with the shorts that are too short and like talking about Reiki to like the college girls and okay. shit. You know, yeah. like <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Again, not ask, their fault. It's not that it's not their fault. You, you, you can't you can't bl- put the blame on those four guys alone. No, you know? I'm not. I'm just. But it's just sort of like it's like it's like when uh, I wonder if if it's even worth it at that point. <laughs> well, it's like uh, Theodore Adorno, Adorno said to some extent about some of the experimental stuff that was happening in 19 like 30s and 40s theater. It's like, well, that's great, but, and I'm paraphrasing here by way of my friend Derek, uh, that's all well and good and interesting, but the hipsters are coming, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. All right. But you like that song? Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I'd say that I I like it. Let's move on then. Um, This next song, I think we might skip. Uh, I'll just play a little bit of it and you tell me if you have anything... Because I think this is one of the ones like, eh, I don't really have anything for this song. So I don't know if you did. To lead a better life, I need my love to be here. So there and everywhere. Um. Oh, yeah. Oh, you do have something. I do. All right, let's hear it. So I remember listening to this and... So this is one of those things that is this a, this is a John this has to be a John Lennon song. Yes. Right? Okay. No. No. It's McCartney. Oh right. Okay. Because okay, here's the math that I did. Paul McCartney. I'm actually starting to really appreciate as a songwriter. Yeah. In terms of like just the sheer volume. Yeah. His tendency is to over romanticize. Yeah. Like, and that's that's fine. That's what love songs can do. And I think it's before this. It has been that weird, you know, hugs and kisses, mommy gave me a $5 bill sort of bullshit. Um, I think it's really matured by this time. Hmm. And it benefits a lot from the production where it you get that dreamy, airy thing. Yeah. And I think that if this song were released on, like, at the Beatles or to the Beatles... Um, I'd fucking hate it. Yeah. But cuz it sounds like a stalker song. <laughs> I mean if if you if you strip it from all of the dreamy stuff, yeah. It would just sound, if it's just straight up, you know, drums and guitar, it would it would be like terrifying. As but, so many love songs are uh, right. want to do. Right. But you throw in this atmospheric stuff and it's like, okay, yeah, that's this is what young naive love can feel like where it's like, I see she's the bank teller, but she's not the bank teller. And she's this can of beans, but she's not this can of beans. And I want love and hugs and kisses and stuff. Like I get it. I get, I get that feeling from this song. Like I actually found myself, you know, having almost wistful feeling as I was driving on Montezuma Avenue. Blavino, Blav, 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 mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, that street, that street, 
And yeah. Yeah, that song was listen to it again. I'm like, okay, yeah, I can I can appreciate the atmospheric uh it's you know, lovingness to it, but yeah. Not a bad song, just not going to be my but I I'm glad you found something in it. That's yeah. that's good. Yeah. No. That's, um, uh, <clears throat> All right, some notes about the song then. And that's interesting that that our responses are are what they are because I think it shows sort of a divide of what we're each looking for. Yeah, like if you you put you put the creepy stalker shit in what could be creepy creepy stalker shit mm-hmm. or the very same sentiment that I ridiculed before. Mm-hmm. If you put that inside of an atmospheric bubble, then all of a sudden I'm like, okay, that that's you're fine. Yeah. I, I get I understand why you're saying what you're saying because you've given it. A frame, you know. Yeah. Uh, so McCartney's in- inspiration for the song, and I'll, I'll have to look at the source here, uh, was the Beach Boys' Pet Sounds track "God Only Knows." Um, what's the source for that? I don't know if I like that. Well, it's from book. I don't know. Which, in turn, Brian Wilson had been inspired to write after listening to Rubber Soul. Apparently, hmm. um, McCartney double tracked the vocal. Um, I don't know if you noticed, but the the song, and I would never in a million million years. Well, maybe I would. I don't know. The song's opening lines are sung over shifts in time signature from nine eight to seven eight to four four. I'm not that yeah, skilled. Who the hell knows at that? all? Uh, okay, what else? Um, blah blah blah. Uh, but I'm sure that adds to it. I'm sure that, that yeah. like I'm like it's it's like uh, Mr. Plankett says. You might not know have noticed, but your brain did. Mr. Blanket? Mr. Plinkett. Plinkett. Yeah. I don't know what that is. I'll tell you about him later. Okay. McCartney wrote, uh, Here, There, and Everywhere. Wait, was that the song we just listened to? Yes. Um, McCartney wrote, Here, There, and Everywhere while waiting for Lennon to get out of bed. <laughs> Which, maybe Lennon then wrote the the song about I'm sleepy after that. He's like, just, call me lazy, man. I'm just sleepy. Um <laughs> Paul McCartney turned uh, up at John Lennon's Kenwood Mansion for a revolver writing session, only to find his partner still in bed, despite it being in the afternoon. I want to see a wacky, like, buddy cop comedy with those two. Oh, God. We we probably would have if (laughs) if Lennon had been fucking murdered. I sat out by the pool. Too soon, Josh. (laughs) Too soon, indeed. (laughs) I sat out by the pool on one of the sun chairs with my guitar. Um... I could see that. Not, not long after he produced Here, There, and Everywhere, which came to be one of Lennon's favorite Beatles songs. John might have helped with the last few words, McCartney continued. When <laughs> the I last s- two words terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> Die! <laughs> Did I kill you? <laughs> um, when I sang it in the studio, I remember thinking, I'll sing it like Marianne Faithful. Oh, yeah, S- Something yeah, yeah. no one would ever know. Who's Marianne Faithful? Uh, what is that? She's one of them art, fancy art people. Mm, okay. Well, there you go. Maybe uh, this song is like a um, the instigator for the shoegaze genre. That's not true. That would... I don't know that it comes directly from that, but... So, the sho- that shoegaze stuff is a part of that post-punk bullshit that mm-hmm. I was talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least it's very... It's like... Bullshit. <laughs> That's how you really call it bullshit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I I talk about music I love in dismissive terms. Like, <laughs> let's be clear about this. Because <laughs> um, a lot of it is actually bullshit. Um, but sometimes the bullshit's good, you know? But anyway. Anyway. But <laughs> um Yeah, so that I'm that's probably what I'm hearing in there. It's like, oh, okay, cool. This is like 
throw in a female vocalist, you know, singing about <clears throat> like being having drug issues, and I'm I'm, I'm right there. Oh yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's move on and to a song. Talk about. Sex. We're going to talk about sex. Talk about Lennon and McCartney taking a smoke break. <laughs> they probably <laughs> left for vacation and then it was like, okay, Ringo, here are the keys. <laughs> we let George do it, so we, we have yeah, to let Ringo. I guess technically we'll let you. <laughs> this is um, Yellow Submarine. Oh, fuck. In the town where I was born, lived a man. You can't have a Beatles show without Yellow Submarine. Mm. It's true. It is their Margaritaville. Mm. What do you think about the song, Daniel? I'm very torn. I'm very torn. I... There's a lot... Some... Some... Some sound effects going on in here? What? If I engage with it as... Uh, Okay. (laughs) If you engage with it, what? What color? What motor transport? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) If I engage with it... So, okay. I I listened to this entire album yesterday when... I knew that we were going to do it today. Um, oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> What's wrong with Ringo? <laughs> Is he okay? <laughs> um, so. <laughs> I got some really good facts about you. Oh, I'm too, sure there's delicious. Please tell me yours. When this song came on. After I had mostly enjoyed pretty much everything before it, I yelled at the <laughs> at the the speakers. I'm like, "Oh shit!" I <laughs> Enga- if I engage with it as Yellow Submarine, the song that I've known forever. Oh god. I I was loathsome of this thing, but then when I realized this is probably like a Monty Python ish thing that they're doing, yeah, and listened to it like that, and and ignored the fact that this became their aesthetic at some point, like later, where it was just hey, let's just make everything stupid and goofy. I'm the walrus, uh. <laughs> like that shit's fucking obnoxious but this as a one-off like fun wacky like thing the stuff in the background it communicates that it's supposed to be wacky and silly Uh at no point did i start actually hating the song and i realized that it was just okay well this actually benefited from me listening to it closely yeah um the weird yelling in the background. That's all shit that Modest Mouse does that I really like that they do that. It's like just these crazy fucking people in the background who <laughs> like they couldn't get them to leave the studio. So mm-hmm. there's like, fuck it. We're going to record it anyway. Yeah. Um, I don't love this. I, I both appreciate and totally fucking hate the song. Yeah. <laughs> if that's possible. And I think I like it for, 
letting me have that feeling. Sure. You know what I mean? I can't, I can't imagine, or I can, I guess. I wonder, there's, there's people out there who probably, probably this is like their favorite Beatles song. I, I worry about that being a reality. If that's a, listen, if this is your favorite Beatles song, I I really want you, I want to know. I want to know why. <laughs> Email dhtbpod at gmail.com and let us know. Or you could also go to our Facebook group that I just put together. Yeah, today, where you join can, the Facebook group. You can comment and yell at us. How do they find the Facebook? What's it called? It's uh, We Love Dan Hates the Beatles. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So Ringo Starr singing on this song. Um, I thought it was he just wrote the thing, but I think he's just singing on it. I just left him alone I in think the studio McCartney for wrote a week. It. Yeah. <laughs> McCartney intended Yellow Submarine, a song he later characterized as a kid story, as a vehicle for Starr's limited vocal range. (laughs) (laughs) The lyrics were written by McCartney and Lennon with assistance from Scottish singer Donovan. Oh, God. And tell of a life on a sea, a life on a sea voyage accompanied by friends. Do you know who this Donovan character is? Um I feel like if we look him up, there will be some treasures to be found. We're, we're not going to do that. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think, I think I'm just, if he's who I think he is, we might need to take a diversion. <laughs> On the 1st of June, the Beatles and a group of their friends created a nautical atmosphere over the pre-recorded basic track by mixing sounds such as gongs, whistles, and bells with an assortment of Studio 2 sound effects. Um, blah, blah, blah. I think if anyone released a track like this, like now, I would, it would just, it would be so fucking obnoxious. But for what it is and for the time that it was, oh yeah, Mellow Yellow. That's Donovan. That's Donovan. Oh, yeah. They call me Mellow Yellow. That one. Yeah. Um, I was thinking, I'm, is, I don't know if he's the one that did Atlantis. Uh, that song's the piece. Of, anyway, Put yeah, he's rest. the one that did Atlantis. Oh shit! Um, Atlantis is a narrative of the city of Atlantis getting sucked into the water. Oh. It's a very dramatic. <laughs> it's a- well, he had a hand in this song. <laughs> that guy. Here's a fact that may anger you, <laughs> may sadden you, I, I or think may not surprise you. Okay, or all three. I don't know. Let's do it. The band spent longer working on Yellow Submarine <laughs> than they did the whole of their debut album, Please Please Me. No, that's, that's, that fits. I think Please Please Me was probably written, uh, recorded in like an afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> uh, despite the, despite that fact, they still managed to get the album, the entire album out in super fast time, uh, recorded from April 6th to June 21st. It was out in the UK just over six weeks later. Speaking of Yellow Submarine, the Kinks' Ray Davies reviewed the album in Disc and Music Echo magazine and branded the track a load of rubbish, really. <laughs> I, I agree that it is, but I don't think that that's... I think it's supposed to be. I think it's... Yeah, it's... and Okay, so only one single was released from the album, and it was a double A-side of Eleanor Rigby and Yellow Submarine. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> Why? Because those songs naturally go together. (laughs) 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 You need something to go on the other submarine. Oh, I I know. 
Or even better, we need something to go with Eleanor Rigby. <laughs> yeah, either way, yeah. this is not a you got your peanut butter and my chocolate situation. Sure. <laughs> this is... Uh, I tr- I really do. I think I really love hating this song. Because yeah. there's... I get what they're going for, and I hear it, and I... <laughs> I appreciate it so much more than I think I'm communicating, but it's so <laughs> fucking annoying and terrible. It's, and I, I, I hate that I keep, I don't mind it, but I could see how it might be irritating that I keep making these Disney metaphors, but it's, it's very much like in my relationship with It's a Small World. I ride the fuck out of that shit, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I'm not going to suggest anyone else do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought that I read that, speaking of Brian Johnson, that he um, and a whole host of other people con- contributed to like the backing vocals of this song. Mm. Um, that may or may not be true. I lost the, the fact. Anyway, um, here's a story I'm going to read, and we'll see if I edit it out. Rumpelstiltskin. Yellow Submarine. Here's the header. Yellow Submarine almost killed John Lennon. <laughs> what? Let's take let's take a deep dive on this. <laughs> Sounds like clickbait. I on, hope it's yeah. clickbait. <laughs> on Wednesday, June first, nineteen sixty six, the Beatles with the with the how do you pronounce this word? Coterie? Yeah, sure. Hold on, Cutlery. Now, now I want to know. Uh, it's pronounced C O T E R I E. A small group of people with shared interests. Coterie. Okay. The Beatles with a coterie of fellow madcaps, including Marianne Faithful, Brian Jones, um, and George Harrison's wife, Patty, gathered in Abbey Road Studio 2 to outfit Yellow Submarine with sound effects. Zaniness had always been a special interest of John Lennon's, going back to his passion for the goon show. Getting into nautical mode... Lennon pressed revolver engineer Jeff Emmerich to record him singing underwater after oh having God. first attempted to sing while gargling. Mm-hmm. While George Martin worked at dissuading him, Emmerich later wrote, I began thinking of an alternative. Might we have John sing into a mic that was immersed in water? A mic was duly wrapped in a condom for protection, as you do, mm-hmm. prompting the Lennon wisecrack, we don't want the microphone getting in the family way, <laughs> What? Mm-hmm. and dropped in a milk carton. The signal was distant and the gambit was abandoned, but no one at the time was aware how lucky Lennon had been. It, was until many, it wasn't until many years later, Emmer concluded, that I realized with horror that the microphone we were using was phantom-powered. <laughs> <laughs> Meaning that it was actually a live electrical object. In conjunction with the 240-volt system used in England, any of us, including Lennon, could have easily been electrocuted, and I would have gone down in history as the first recording engineer to kill a client in the studio. Well, how about that? (laughs) Heroin is a weird drug. (laughs) It's a hell of a drug. Oh. Um, Speaking of drugs, uh, LSD was... uh, Let's just say LSD played a part in recording this album. You don't say. I do say. (laughs) If you can believe that. Again, for the record, totally pro-drug. But <laughs> I think on that, I, this is obviously going to be a two-parter, so we're like an, over an hour in. So okay. I think we'll... What's our... Side cliffhanger? A. Side A is going to be end with Yellow Submarine okay. here. Okay. All right. We need a cliffhanger. Oh. Um, what's a cliffhanger? On the next episode... We will... 
Um, oh, tell you this uh, a song that we're very ashamed of having genuinely liked. Ooh. Okay. And we have to we have to we have to make an admission of a song. You know, here, here's a here's the thing. We're going to admit to a song or an artist of contemporary nature. So something of like the last 10 years that was like we've heard and like listen, I really like this song or I really like this band. Maybe it'll just be me. I don't know. I can go in the opposite direction on that. Do what? Someone who I who I have loved, who I now really have strong negative of feelings for. That's it. All right. Okay. On the next episode. Okay. Bye. We love you. Bye.